I'm Jackie. I'm a compulsive reader. Oh my gosh, you guys! I love hearing my name that that like loud and and in a uniform thing. So thank you for that. Um, I'm so grateful to be here today. Um, I came from Orange County, so it was super early because I thought there'd be traffic, but there was really nothing on the road except for me. Um, I am extremely, extremely grateful and honored to be here. Um, I didn't really know what to expect of this meeting, but I spoke at um, Saturday Sunday, and someone there asked me to speak. So if you guys go to that meeting and have heard me before, sorry, it's the same story. I'm still, you know, at the same path, same abstinence, same boring, whatever. I don't think it's that boring, but um, I guess that's my disclaimer anyway. Um, so I am just turned 30 in May, um, and I grew up in New Jersey, and I moved out to California to get um, sober and to also go into treatment for an eating disorder, but I'll get to that. And um, so I don't really miss New Jersey. I think I was meant to be in California. I've been here for about five years now. Um, I've been in this program for five years, and throughout this program and working the steps, I've lost 200 pounds and um, have kept it off for about two years now. Um, and I, that's pretty cool, but i got to say and be honest that I lost all the weight before I really worked the steps and got really dug in with like my higher power and my character defects and my resentment and the amends I needed to make. So um, I'll tell you all about that. And first of all, we'll talk about how it was when I was growing up. So I was a middle, I still am a middle child and I had middle child syndrome and I always needed attention. My brother got more or my sister got more. I was stuck in the middle and um, always felt like I needed more of everything. I needed more you know, well, yeah, food, but I needed more toys, I needed more attention, I needed more friends, I needed more, I don't know, anything really. And um, I never felt satisfied, I never felt like I was like complete, you know. And I um, struggled a lot with that and I didn't know what it was. I felt like everyone else had life figured out and I didn't. Um, I felt like I had this piece of my heart missing. I didn't know where, like, why that happened to me. I didn't know what happened in my life. And I wanted to find things to blame for that. But I could never, I could never blame anything. You know, I tried. But nothing ever, like, nothing ever, when I figured those things out, it didn't make the problem go away, you know? Like, I still wanted more. Um, so my parents got divorced when I was 13, and that was such a very horrible divorce. And I, um was angry at my dad and I blamed him for everything and and then I, I figured out that I needed to take care of myself and this family. I wasn't going to get taken care of by my dad or my mom because they have their own problems and you know they tried their best as parents but I couldn't function in the family without taking care of myself. So how I took care of myself was food and from my earliest memory I my parents would always tell me a story. The first time I ate a French fry from McDonald's, it, it like I looked like I just like found like the garden of Eden. Like that was, and I was like three years old, and this light turned on. It said a light turned on in your eyes, Jackie. Like you came alive, and like that's how I felt every single time I ate food, whatever it was, whatever if it was McDonald's French fry or if it was a piece of celery. Like I loved putting things in my mouth. Food. I love the effect that it gave me, the sense of ease and comfort that I got when I put food in my mouth. So I learned that growing up, 
when life was hectic and life was crazy, I put food in my mouth. So when I started getting in trouble for putting too much food in my mouth, I started sneaking food. Um, I remember having this little cubby in my in my room where I, you're supposed to put like your stuffed animals and stuff, and I would put them in there, but have little like cups of food, things hidden, like um, little like napkins of, of things that I would sneak from the kitchen, and I would eat normally in front of my family and be so hungry after after I'd eaten, and they didn't know what was wrong with me. I went to see a nutritionist when I was eight years old, and I hated her. Like she told me I had to eat differently than my peers, and I would go to school and have turkey sandwiches with nothing on it and carrot sticks and my friends were eating you know peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with with snack pack and I'm like what's wrong with me you know like I equated that to something being wrong with me because I couldn't eat normally and I was a heavy child I got teased a lot for being overweight and um, that became my identity I was a fat girl and that's all I really knew I knew to be everyone's friend and um, the funny one and that was it, you know, I didn't really have close friendships and had my food, you know. And um, so then I went to college and my, my food was very restricted when I was living with my family because they didn't really know how to handle an overweight child and they did the best they could, you know. And I really went crazy when I went to college because I didn't have police around me, food police. So. I gained 100 pounds in, in one semester. Like, I'm not even kidding. You guys know that. Like, it's, it's possible. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about that part. But let's just say I'm, a, I'm an AA as well, and I'm sober. And from my freshman year of college to the day I graduated to three years later, my food continuously got worse and worse and worse. I tried to control and enjoy my eating, and I couldn't. I just could not stop eating when I wanted to, and I couldn't have relationships with people. I didn't know that food was my problem, though. You know, I was like, well, weight's my problem. I need to be a smaller person. Then people will understand me. Then people will accept me. Then I'll get that job that I want. Then I'll have that boyfriend that I want. Then people will accept me, and the world will accept me, because the world was my problem. People who didn't understand obesity and being an overweight child and this like the media where they're obsessed with body image, they, they needed to change, not me. And I was obsessed with outside with looking on the outside and not looking inwardly at what I needed to do differently. I went on countless diets, Jenny Cry, Weight Watchers, you you all know them, and I tried, tried and tried to lose the weight. And I would do great for a month and then get bored or get sick of being restricted and I would just give up and gain some more weight back. The, the most I ever lost was 50 pounds at this weight loss camp in, in North Carolina where you literally, like, it's like a vacation and they make your food for you and you go to therapy and you go to, like, like um, group therapy and you have a trainer. They make your food. You just weigh yourself every morning. And, like, I was like, I can do this. But I left and became completely obsessed with my weight and what I was putting in my mouth. And I started... I dabbled in purging at that point because I was so obsessed with my outside appearance because I was getting attention from boys because I looked significantly different. This was in college, and I, again, you know, my life was determined by my outside appearance and by, not by, like, what I was doing in school, not by who my friends were, not by what job I had or whatever. It was, like, how do I look on the outside? How And how do you think I look. Tell me how I look. Tell me how I feel. 
And so college, graduated college, I digress a little bit, sorry. Um, and I got this job. I was a journalism major, and I got a job in a newspaper. This was in Connecticut. I was living in Connecticut, and I... I was like, this is the life. Like, I don't have to, you know, just go to work and do whatever I want. And, like, at this point, I was, like, 300 pounds. And I was lazy. I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to do anything. Um, I slowly, like, wouldn't show up for, like, my responsibilities. And that's you. And um, I quit that job because it got in the way of the lifestyle that I thought I wanted, which was doing nothing. And... (laughs) Um, unfortunately and fortunately I had the luxury of doing that financially was supported and so for the last for the, so after I quit that job out of college it was about five years maybe four years of not working you know doing crazy 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 things that I talk mostly about in AA um, and eating anything I wanted not having a meal time or whatever just really eating whenever I wanted I became a binge grazer so I would binge at meal times and graze in between and then when it was kind of like lunchtime I would like binge some more and I would continue on the cycle for four years and I was depressed I was suicidal I was hopeless I couldn't hold a job I didn't want to hold a job I had no friends I continued to eat myself to depression and to just a miserable, miserable place, and I never thought it was the food. I was like, but no, it's because I'm fat. No, it's because my dad was an ass, you know. Sorry. It was, no, it's because I didn't graduate with the right degree, or I don't have the right therapist, or I didn't get the right medication, or that's not the right guy for me, or I need to get a cat, and she'll fix everything. And <laughs> she did She did a little bit. I still have her. She's awesome. <laughs> and I just, like, could not look on the inside and I was seeing a therapist and um, at this point I was 400 pounds and I don't know how I got around I bar- I had a trainer who would come train me and it was just a joke like I would he was like how's your food I'm like oh well you know like it's okay and like I just never want to talk about it because I'd work out with him for an hour spend all this money and then go home and eat the rest of the day. I worked so hard, you guys, when I was working out. I deserved to eat all this food. I deserved it. So I was living in New Jersey because I was my, I was living in Connecticut. My parents said, you got to come back to New Jersey. We don't, we are not safe. We don't feel like you're going to be safe living there because I was emotionally unstable. I went to two psych hospitals in like, in like a year because I wanted to die. So I moved to New Jersey and and did the same thing for two years and it just got worse it got worse and worse and worse and um, you know I didn't get have any health problems but life was really hard being a 400 pound teenager or you know 20 year old I was like at that point 24 years old and um, I didn't have any friends I didn't do it I didn't do work you know I didn't have to I had my cat and I like say those things because I know that Today, I would be dead today if it wasn't for her because I stayed alive to take care of her. Otherwise, I had no reason to wake up in the morning. I really didn't. That was the only reason I wanted to get up. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even for the food anymore at, at that point. You know, it got so, it got so dark and it was, um, like, you know, the things where we order food for like, or different meals, like 
five different meals and pretend people are in our home when they come to deliver it. Like, oh, the food's here, you guys. And when it's only for me, eating a whole pizza myself, like um, trying to go on diets, getting healthy food and it rotting in my refrigerator while I go to like fast food restaurants three times a day. And at, the, at that point, I didn't even want to leave my house anymore. And I, when I would, I would leave and get every all the supplies I needed to like be hunkered down for like a, two days and get all this food and I felt like there was just this mode of food around me at all times and then I thought okay like the minute I ran up the stairs with my food and and um locked the door ran up it was hard to run up the stairs you know what I mean like kind of like struggle up the stairs but I shut it I know it's whatever I can talk about it like that now because that's not I, I mean when I talk about this it's like I'm talking about a different person that's not who I am today and that's if you're new and you are hopeless, like it is, it is possible. Like I didn't think it was. And anyway, so I walked up the stairs and locked the door, and I got that ease and I got that sense of, you know, you know, I'm gonna be okay. I have my food. I don't have to be in the world. I don't have to be in this world. People stare at me and judge me and expect things from me. I'm safe in my apartment now, and that's. I was, you know, when I would leave, I was, I became like agoraphobic, which is like afraid to leave your home. And my parents were worried. And I finally like reached the bottom and, you know, I was eating out of the garbage can because I couldn't stop. I would throw things away. I couldn't stop eating. And um, I even considered gastric bypass surgery. But they did, I passed all the tests. They made me do all this stuff so I could do it. And I was like, this is going to fix me, you know, when they, you know, if they make my stomach really small, then I can't overeat, right? No, no. I learned that in this program that that doesn't work. You know, it's the mind thing. But thank God, and I didn't know it was God at the time, um, I had one last evaluation. It was a psych evaluation. And the doctor was like, we can't do this surgery on you. You'll die. I'm like, no, but I'm healthy. Like, you already said I'm healthy. I did the sleep apnea test and all that. Like, I am fine. He's like, you have a mental illness. Like, you will die if you make your stomach smaller because you won't be able to stop eating and i, I was so mad my psychiatrist almost almost still recommended me because i would he didn't know what else to do do for me i begged him but by the grace of god i did not do that what i did instead was ask for help i went to treatment for emotional problems and somebody told me you have an eating disorder you have you are a compulsive overeater or binge eating disorder or whatever um, and the only solution is a 12-step program. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I can't do that. Like, I, I, I don't know. I grew up Jewish, and I was raised to believe, you know, whatever, whatever I felt like, really. You know, my parents really were like, just go get your bat mitzvah, and that's fine. I don't care what you do. <laughs> so I did that. But the thought of having to, like, rely on God, like, I knew God existed, but I didn't think God wanted anything to do with me. Why, why is God going to help me with my food? I had, so I'd go to OA and I would listen to these women. And I used to go, this is, so I moved to California. And I used to go to these meetings with a bunch of older women. And I was like, they don't get me. Like, they don't, they don't understand. They don't, they weren't teased in high school and, and in college. Didn't get boyfriends because they were fat. They, they're just bored housewives, like, who eat too much, you know? I was just very, very judgmental. No one understood me. Nobody got me. I was the exception to the rule. This wasn't going to work for me. I, I was 25 years old. Why can't I just eat whatever I want? Why can't I eat whatever I want and 
the weight just, you know, go away? Oh, can you just give me a pill where I can eat whatever I want and my weight will just, like, why? Why do I have to do this? So, um, yeah, all that resistance was really, really tough. But I don't know what happened. You know, I don't, I can't explain to you what um, equation ha- or whatever, like, magic happened. But it was magic, you know. I just continued to come to meetings when I didn't want to. I was forced at first to come because of the treatment center I was at. And I was, I started listening to the women. I started seeing this light inside of them that I couldn't explain, you know, where they just were happy. They were talking about really, really tough things, really sad things, but they were okay. And that's all I ever wanted to feel was okay. Like, I never felt like I was okay ever, ever, you know, unless I was binging. Um, and then I, um, I started following a meal plan, basically. I had a nutritionist, and she gave me this meal plan, and it worked really well. In the matter of three and a half years, I lost 200 pounds. And I was like, dude, I'm, this is awesome. I don't have to shop at plus size stores anymore. I, I'm getting all these dates. Like, I, I feel great. I'm working out with a trainer. Um, but I was very, I was still really in, my, in myself, Will. And I was really still getting depressed and still, like, having a hard time doing life. Um, and so I decided the solution would be to go get surgery to remove extra skin on my body because that was holding me back from living my life, you know, because my body wasn't where it was supposed to be. So I got surgery to remove um, extra skin on my stomach, and I went into the surgery really hoping that it would make my life better, really, really hoping that by altering my outside appearance would make me feel better about myself. And what happened instead was I went into the surgery and really struggled after surgery. I had to really, really sit with myself and, and recover. And that was so hard. I, I mean, I, can't, I still have a really hard time sitting with myself, but I had to. I couldn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't move physically because I would hurt myself. So I had to really be comfortable and really rely on God and rely on this program. Women and, you know, my friends and anyone came to help me. I was supported so much. And I realized that these people loved me even before I had the surgery. So it was never about my body anyway. It was about this stuff. Thank you. It was about the inside stuff. So I started to realize that it doesn't matter what I weighed. It never really did. Yeah, it mattered that my, that my health would probably deteriorate if I continued to eat that way, but I realized that I found happiness inside of me because I, re- I listened to other people. I started relying on a higher power who had a better idea than me. I have ideas. They're never good for me, ever. And I continue to listen to people. And then I was like, okay, so I, I started working the program. I finished my fourth step. I realized where I was, where, where in my life I had blamed everybody for being overweight and how that never made me lose weight. And then I realized that I, that's not what fixed me. Losing 200 pounds isn't what fixed me. What fixed me was relying on higher power, realizing that no matter what, I would be okay if I trust that God has it all planned out for me anyway and worked out. And I can go through anything, good or bad, because everything is temporary and I don't need to eat over it I don't need to do anything over it and it's just a freaking miracle today that I am the person I have maintained this weight loss for two years 
And I still eat a lot. I love food. I went to a Brazilian barbecue restaurant yesterday. Do you know those restaurants? It's like all you can eat. Like, you know, I have. I still can't go to all you can eat sushi because, like, oh my god, it's like fish. Why can't I eat more? You know. But anyway, this place. I was with another friend in the program, and we ate abstinently. These people come by with giant things of meat, and like, you want more? Like, no, we're good. And they were shocked that we only spent. 20, 30 minutes there. Like, that's it? And it wasn't really expensive. Like, yeah, that's it. We're good. Thank you. And it was just like, it wasn't a problem, you know? It was just a, we laughed about it later because these people will come and spend like two hours there. And like, I'm like, how do they do it? Like, and I'm like, it's not fair. Like, why can't I do that? You know, I still have those thoughts, but like, they can. You know, they just won't eat all day and then eat, you know, at night or whatever they do. But I have this disease in my mind that will bring me down it will bring me down if I have one compulsive bite if I have one slip and my abstinence is just two three meals a day and a snack and um, not weighing myself that's it like that's all I've done and I have had a hard time recently I was in a relationship that I just actually ended on Thursday so this is very good timing I'm really grateful that I'm here and I have, you know, had a issue with like my program being put second, you know, and I, I know that that's never something that, that can be done right. So I um, ended the relationship because I wrote, my sponsor is Roz, by the way, if you don't know Roz, so she made me write this, this thing. It was so painful. She's like, write this, everything I tell you. So I wrote down. Hi, Jackie, this is your disease. I'm here waiting for you. I'm here. I've always been here. Go ahead and make those wrong decisions. I'll be here. I'll make sure that you don't get anything else in your life that you ever wish for. I'll make sure that you'll gain your weight back. I'll make sure that you'll have to go shopping at those plus-size stores again. I just got a new Jeep, and I love it, my Jeep Wrangler. She's like, And then my disease is like... If you really like your you really like your Jeep, well, you're going to have to get a new car. You're going to have to get a van because you won't be able to fit in your new car. I'm here. I am powerful. I am more powerful than anything you've ever imagined. And I cried. And, like, I realized that any decision that I make that steps me one step back from this program will lead me to that disease. And any step I take forward into the, into the program more is my higher power. So I wrote another letter, and it was from my higher power, and said, Jackie, I've always been here. I have been there for you from the beginning. I am more powerful than anything in this world, than anything that your disease tell you, than any person in this world, than any relationship that you'll ever have. I am important. I am, I am it. I'm the one that picked you up. I'm the one that kept you here. I'm the one who will always be here. And I want to, I know I'm running a little bit low on time, but... I wanted to end on this. I shared this in another meeting, so sorry if you heard the story before, but my grandfather died a year ago, and I'd never been through any death in recovery. I, I ate over those things, you know, and did other things, so I didn't know how to handle this. I was like, my grandfather's dying, and we're just waiting for him to die, and it's so painful, and I don't know what to do, and I was driving back from Palm Springs after I said goodbye to him, and I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Where are you, God? What am I supposed to do? I don't know how to handle this. How am I not supposed to eat over this? And then 
all of a sudden I saw like seven rainbows and I strove under them one after another and my mouth dropped open and I was like God said to me I'm here I am here and I'll always be here so that's it thanks this is the time for questions only there's no sharing at this meeting if you need to share please do so with any of us after the meeting also please remember that the opinions of the leader are my uh, yes they're my own opinions so do and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may not be audible on the OA podcast. I'll repeat the question, so. Yeah, basically. You mentioned that you lost the bulk of your weight before doing the steps. Um, And I just wanted to know uh, how did you go about doing the steps? And what what made you think, okay, now I need to do this? And how did you get started? What's your experience of working? So, your question was um, after losing all the weight, what prompted me to start working the steps and working the actual program? I was doing really bad things in recovery, like I was having an affair, not married, but with somebody, whatever. And I was doing things that I would have done if I wasn't in the program, and I realized that um, I was still spiritually sick. And um, I got Roz as my sponsor two years ago, and she helped me to love myself. and to have acceptance for like anything in my life that has happened in the past, present, or future because that's God's plan and that the steps is really where the work happens and the recovery happens and the why I have maintained my weight, you know, I wouldn't have. I would have I would have been back there because I was just in my own will, you know, and it just felt really uncomfortable. I felt it. I felt like this dark, the dark cloud coming back that was there before I got abstinent. So, thanks for your question. What is, how has your relationship with your family changed? I'm so glad you asked that question. She asked what, how my relationship with my family has changed. So, I didn't like, like I said, I blame my family for everything. So, I, I hated my dad most of all. Um, and I was in competition with my sister all the time because she has struggles with her weight as well, still does. Uh, probably needs this program, but I'm not judging her, whatever. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't want to have a relationship with them. I just, I didn't care because they didn't want to take, they didn't take care of me. They didn't fix me. But today I have an amazing relationship with my, with my dad. My dad and my brother don't get along. But I love my dad. I love him. He's crazy, but I accept him. And my sister and I are like best friends. And I, um, since this breakup, my, I usually don't go to my family for help, but I did this time. And because I have such a big network of friends and, and recovery things, and I'm fine, you know. But they're all like, come, you know. My brother just had twins um, six months ago. They're the most amazing gifts I've ever. I wouldn't be here today. I'd be dead. If I continued the way that I was eating, I'd be dead today, and I would not have been there to, to meet them. 
And he's like, come visit us for the weekend. Like, get away from there, you know. And my, my mom said the same thing. My, they're all over the place. My, my sister's in Vermont. My brother's in Chicago. My mom's in New Jersey. And my dad's in New York. So they want me around. And that's, like, the best gift ever. And I actually want to be around them. They don't get this program. They don't, they don't get it at all. They're just like, okay, you're okay. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Like, don't, like, we're, you know. They still want me to move back to New Jersey, but I, no. So... But thanks for asking. <laughs> do you, um, thank you for your share. Yeah. Um, does that voice ever come back, the, the I want, I want, or I don't want, I don't want, that self-will voice? Does that come back, and if it does, what do you do in that? Um, so your question was that I want, I want, I need that crazy, you know, compulsive reading brain comes back all the time. And I, I... The more recovery I have, the quieter it gets, but I believe it will always be there. Um, I just, like, have learned to separate myself from it and, like, give it an identity. Like, it's my, I call it my, I used to call it, like, the Ed, you know, like, eating disorder. And now I call it my roommate. And basically it's, like, or I've heard a DJ, like, just something that's not, me it's not Jackie it's this disease that I have and if I call it my roommate it's just something I have to live with because I'm not financially like able to live on my own or like in my whatever so um so I have to put up with it and I and it has opinions and they're crazy opinions and don't make any sense but I just go you know what like I talk to it I'm like roommate like go to your room like shut up I don't need that you know like I'm trying to have a relationship with somebody or I'm trying to drive my car like please leave this car because it's all the time you know not I'm sorry it's not all the time but it is definitely definitely quieter so thanks for the question you mentioned Sure. Okay. Your question was part of my abstinence was not weighing myself and how did that work and how is it, how it affected me by doing that. So I go to this gym where um, there's this like really nice scale that's like right there and I walk. I, I sometimes I'll pace back and forth from it and I'm like, stop it, Jackie, because my weight defined me when I was when I was not on the program. Whatever weight I was was. A definition of who Jackie is and I don't want that to be my definition I see a nutritionist she weighs me she'll tell me your weight's going down or your weight's the same or your weight went up a little bit I've never you know I have a brief understanding just because I knew I was 400 pounds I lost 200 like I'm in you know around there somewhere but like I just like how my clothes fit you know I just like how I can fit in chairs and like you know go on roller coasters and not be able to like buckle the seatbelt you know like I that's how that's how I determine my physical weight loss you know not by a number because you know I like let's say I weigh 200 pounds and someone else I point you know someone else weighs 200 pounds we can look completely different like weight is not a determination like you can it's about height it's about you know where your weight is like I mean I don't know, like, you know, Amy Schumer, like, she, she's the same weight as me. She has the same size as me. I don't think we look alike at all. I think, I mean, I was just thinking about that the other day because I was watching her, but, so it's just a number. Okay. Thank you, Jackie. What do you do to maintain your relationship with your higher power? Um, so, Ellie asked, or sorry, I said her name. Um, how I maintain my relationship with my higher power. Um... 
I talk to my higher power all the time. I don't like sit. I don't kneel and like pray to to him to my higher power. I am in the car. I'm talking. I have like a relationship where he's like my friend. You know, like we're like working on this together, and we're a team. And so I'm all the time when that um, roommate's going. I'm talking like God. Can you tell this thing to shut up or, you know? And I. To maintain that, I write a lot of letters to God, which is something my sponsor taught me, which has been such an amazing tool that I've used. And um, and when I look up at the sky or if I see a hummingbird, those are indications of my higher power's presence. And like, or if I, you know, the wind picks up, and and I have to have those little reminders. I do, otherwise I'm I'll get into my will and think that God is taking a vacation, and He never does. He's always here. So thanks for. Okay, great question. So she asked, how has my um, recovery come out in, really, in dating and when do I share it and when I shouldn't or like about my privacy in it? And um, <laughs> it's really hard to, I have a lot of scars on my body from the surgeries I had. So when I'm dating, I get really self-conscious about it because like I have to explain it, you know, like I can't hide them, you know. Um, but it's something that I wear as like a badge of honor because I'm like, yeah, I lost 200 pounds. Like, you know, like, you know, that's not like, that's not like a thing people usually do. Like, but also it was an indication of how sick I was though too. So at the same time, it's kind of like, wow, you must've been really sick. I'm not like skinny right now. So it wasn't like, you know, but, um, I mean, it depends on the person. It depends on the. You know, I've dated people in program, so that's really easy. I mean, kind of easy. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> crazy. But I dated the last relationship I was in. He was he wasn't in the program, and I waited a little bit. And um, there wasn't there were certain things I couldn't. As he, you know, men eat a lot more than women. I guess I don't know. Not the way I used to eat, but um, he was never he never really questioned the things I would do differently. And and when he asked like, oh, why aren't you hungry? I'm like, I just say I already had my I already had a meal my meal for the day. I already had dinner or whatever. Like, it wasn't a thing until it got serious. And I was like, look, I go to meetings, and these come first. And if you don't if you're not okay with that, then this is not going to happen, you know? Because I've learned that from you know past relationships. I don't know if that answered your question. Sorry. So thank you. So I um, I have a middle child daughter, mm-hmm. and um, you describe her a lot, and um, I just don't think you know I, there's not too much I can do. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of curious about um, a little bit more about your relationship with your dad and how that healed and making amends and you know, what could your dad have done? You know, I don't know quite how to mm-hmm. just talk more about your dad and stuff like that. Okay, what could great. What could he have done to stop? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. Um, so he asked that um, the relationship with my dad and how that how it was before program and how it is now, and you know, to relate it to your own personal um, middle child syndrome, child. Sorry. Um, 
my dad was the biggest police officer about my food. Um, and it was because he had an overweight mother who died of diabetes when I was 15 or 13. So it was, now I've learned that it's from, it was from his own fear of losing me. But at the time, it was like a microscope on top of me at all times where I felt like suffocated and he had an affair with, with another woman and that's what ended the, the, the relationship with my mother and him. And so I wanted to blame him and I hated him. I used to write nasty letters to him. I used to not want to be around him. We would, he's very loud and, and yells a lot. Thank you. Like, he's kind of like a five-year-old sometimes. He still is. Like, he'll have temper tantrums. And he'll, like, stomp his feet. It's so ridiculous. Like, he's, like, 61 years old. Like, get it together, buddy. But, um, <laughs> but I, like, I, because I realized that in any resentment or, in this program, it's me. I have to fix myself. I can't fix my dad. I can never fix him. And same for him. He couldn't fix me. There's nothing he could have said or done differently. I am grateful that he didn't do anything differently. I'm grateful that we had that time together where we hated each other. Oh, I hated him because I love my dad today. I have to spend less time with him. Like, I can't spend, like, four days with him in Long Island. You know, like... I just can't, but I know that. I've learned my boundaries and limitations with him, and I accept him. That's, like, the biggest thing. I've accepted him. And he's having problems with my older brother right now, and he is having such a hard time accepting that my brother doesn't want to have a relationship with him. And I, he's calling me all the time, asking for advice, and I'm so, so grateful. That is, like, the biggest thing ever. I mean, I never, I just never thought he wanted my advice, you know. So, thanks for sure. Can you talk about your connection to step nine? Is that the men's one? <laughs> 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 um, so, your question was um, experience with step nine. Um, I made all my amends or like right away, basically. Um, I didn't want to really wait, and I made trips to do it, and it was really hard because. Like I said, I wanted to blame everyone else for being that weight. I wanted to blame everyone else for not understanding me. And sitting in front of somebody and saying, like, I was not a good daughter. I was not a good sister. I'm sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I am going to make amends. And, um, I mean, it was very healing. It was like they kind of understood it for a second. Like, when I did one for my brother, I'm pretty sure he was high when we did it. So, I, it, like, I don't know. But I got, I did my part, you know, and um, <laughs> I, the difficulty I have with the amends, though, is it's a living amends to my family and to, I didn't really cause any, like, financial harm or, like, friendship. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have a life. So, I mean, I can make amends to, like, my cat. Like, that was, like, who I hung out with for, like, two years. So. Uh, make an amends to her by feeding her every day and loving her and like that's I do like I and taking her to the vet and making sure she's okay and also not overfeeding her because she was she was fat too now she's a normal sized cat isn't that funny <laughs> yeah so I'm every you know trying to be a good sister all the time you know but not trying to be perfect you know and um, making amends 
again, when I have wronged my family members or other people who have, who have wronged and like accepting when people are, are, are upset with me or are not able to accept my amends. There's a lot of boyfriends that didn't want to hear from me ever again and I just had to accept that and that was God's, if God wants me to make an amends to them again, he'll present it to me. So, thanks for the question. I think we have time for one more. Okay. Yep. Uh, hi, um, you, you brought me to tears. Thank you for that beautiful, beautiful share. And so my question specifically is about that letter to your um, disease. And um, uh, so I'm wondering if um, you ever have a conversation with it anymore. I'm not talking about it talking to you. I'm talking about you talking back to it. Mm-hmm. Like maybe telling it that, you know, somebody's pushing it away. Do you have a conversation in that way? So you're asking if I have conversations with my disease instead of just listening, listening to it, basically? Yes. I mean, that, that letter I wrote, like... <laughs> It was Tuesday, like it was very, very, very recent, and um, it made me really, really mad. I was very mad, and it was not the letter. It was that that's my disease. It's waiting in the next room, doing push-ups, waiting for me to slip up. You know, um, my disease doesn't want me to have this life I have today. It doesn't want the people in my life or the job in my life or whatever I do to, like, that makes me happy. You know. And sometimes I have to scream at the top of my lungs and say, no, you're wrong. I'm not stupid. I'm not, no one, I'll probably leave this meeting on the way back to Orange County and be like, nobody liked me. Like, everyone thought I was weird. Like, I'm, you know, I'm too young to, I don't know. You know, like, and I have to say, shut up, shut up. Like, you're wrong. You are wrong. This is not, this is not reality. Like, thanks for sharing. My therapist said one time, he was like, what's crazier, listening to the thoughts in your head or yelling at them out loud? And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, maybe listening to them? And he's like, yeah. So if you see me driving in my Jeep Wrangler on the highway screaming at the top of my lungs, it's me talking to my disease. So thanks for the question.